0: One day at a time. There's always a problem, but I just try to like make it into an opportunity.
1: Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong?
0: Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long? When can I move on?
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30 day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash midlife mixtape for your free audiobook. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest episode of the Midlife Mixtape Podcast, where we celebrate Gen Xers and icons of Generation X with humor, heart, and a really good beat. Do you know when you Google the word midlife, nine of the first ten results pair that word with the word crisis? This show is meant to counteract that narrative a little bit, as my guests share their stories of the resilience, lessons, and yes, even joys of being in the middle third of life. By the way, one of those Google results is for the lyrics for the song called Midlife Crisis by rock band Faith No More, so I'll give a pass to that one. So about today's episode, over the years as a freelancer for the San Francisco Chronicle, I've had the chance to write a lot about small manufacturers and local businesses, and I've learned all the various reasons that they bring outsized benefits to the communities in which they operate. Small manufacturers keep tax dollars in the cities where they work, they often provide higher paying jobs for people who don't have advanced degrees, and they lend a specificity and vibrancy that are missing when all you have is a sea of chain stores. Yes, their goods may cost a little more, I'm not going to argue with you on that, but as a consumer you can do your part in the value chain by making a choice for quality over quantity. And one of the local manufacturers here in Oakland, whom I've followed for a long time, is today's guest, clothing designer Leslie Evers. But before I get into her story, I did promise last time to share a related story about the Oak Ridge Boys. See, what had happened was I got a press release that said that the Oak Ridge Boys are working together with an American textile company to recognize people who champion made-in-America goods and that they'd just given an award to Mike Huckabee. Now, 99.99% of the time, I just delete the sea of press releases that I get. But this one stopped me because the Oak Ridge Boys were my late dad's favorite band. We sang Elvira on every car trip my family went on in the 70s. And I thought that Huckabee was a curious choice for that award, to say the least. So I went against all my best instincts, and I hit Reply. And I was very, very exceedingly civil, but I did say that I knew that Huckabee's Daughter Works for someone who talks a good game about made-in-America products, but whose organization manufactures many of its products in China, and I said that maybe the Oak Ridge Boys could use their platform to go ask him about that. And five minutes later, I'm reading an email with the subject line, Hello, Nancy! Yes, it's all caps. And the email itself was all caps. Of course it was. And it was from the lead singer of the Oak Ridge Boys with a PS that said, I'm not yelling, I just like all caps. And he and I had a polite and friendly exchange of views via email finding the common ground that we both think local manufacturing deserves more tangible support, not just talk. And a few days later, I received some Oak Ridge Boys CDs in the mail. And that is the end of my story. But I just have to say, if my dad were still alive, man, he would have enjoyed it. It was just a weird, weird thing to be all caps emailing with the lead singer of the Oak Ridge Boys. So who knows, maybe uniting around the need for local manufacturing is the way forward for our country. Anyway, today's guest, as I mentioned, is Oakland-based clothing designer Leslie Evers. She started her dress company in 2008 and sold to over 100 boutiques across the country and even had a department store account. And then in 2012, she stopped selling wholesale, opened her first brick-and-mortar store, and Leslie says she's never looked back. All Leslie Evers' clothing is manufactured in Oakland, just 10 minutes from her house, and the textiles, all of which are designed by Leslie herself, are printed in Los Angeles. She says her hands have probably touched each and every dress that go out the door. Leslie has two teenage boys and three dogs, which means there's always a lot going on at her house, including on the day we recorded, got cut off, and had to pick up again a week later. So you'll hear that. So, as the Oak Ridge boys might sing, giddy up, oom uh, um, papa, oom um, papa, mau mau, hi ho, silver, away with Leslie Evers. Okay, I am here today on the Midlife Mixtape podcast with my guest, Leslie Evers. Hi, Leslie, how are you? Hi,
0: Nancy. Thanks for having me.
1: You know, we always start the podcast with one important question, which is, what was your first concert and what were the circumstances?
0: Well, my first concert was the Kinks. And I have to tell you the reason I remember it, and I have a terrible memory, I don't remember much at all, is because... I went with my friends, and um, we were scooching along, and um, some creepy dude groped me. He stuck his hand between my legs and grabbed Aww. me. My mom had insisted that my dad chaperone us, and he, my dad is like, just, he's like, hands-off parent. Right. <laughs> so he went because it was my mom's rule, and he was nowhere in sight. And um, it was just like, that's why I remember it, which is really sad, because I'm sure it was an awesome concert. But that's like the only thing about the whole concert that I remember
1: That is so gross. Why? Why? Why Why does somebody have to soil soil your memory like that? All right, let me ask you a more uh, cheerful question. What was the last concert you went to, if it was a good one?
0: Um, I feel like I went to something in between this, but the last one that is like awesome was last summer. I went to Grace Jones at the Greek, and I went with my brother, who's an avid concert goer, and he insisted that we like stand all the way up in the very front. We had to like Fight for our little spots, and um, I'm so glad we did because we were right there. She was right in front of us, and she was absolutely incredible. What is she now? Seventy? I think she is. Like, oh and gosh. she does not look it. And she was practically naked the whole time. <laughs> she had this, like, I'm not kidding, like this tiny little like thong on, and then her whole body was painted. And she had these like outrageous. She even had a dildo on at one point. <laughs> she was like over the top. And um, the whole crowd was like crazy. Like everyone was just like, oh my God, loving her.
1: You know, if if I look like that at 70, I, pr- I plan to go around naked too.
0: <laughs> I mean, I don't look like, I've
1: never looked like that. I don't know what would happen between now and then, but if it happens, you heard it here first.
0: She was just like completely out there. Like it didn't, there was nothing that she did the whole time that, Showed any self consciousness. Like it was Mm -hmm. just like whatever happened, happened. And then during one of her songs, something sort of like, I don't know what it was, fell onto one of the lights and started a fire. So the stage was actually, there was like a fire. And at first she didn't see it. And everyone's like, oh my God, fire, fire. And then I think she realized something was happening and looked over at this light and then started singing fire. And she was like (laughs) going like all crazy fire. It was really, I mean, Yeah. Anyway, somebody came to put the fire out.
1: But Uh, we should emphasize the Greek is an outdoor amphitheater, so it's not quite as dangerous as it sounds. Although that that would still be a scary place to be caught if there was a fire. I guess it couldn't get too far. But leave it to Grace Jones to turn it into a performance art moment.
0: I know she's awesome. She
1: probably planned it that way. So when you're designing, do you listen to music? Is there a certain kind of music you like to you like to be listening to when you're doing your stuff?
0: Depends on what I'm doing. But when I'm designing textiles, it helps a lot for me to listen to music, which is nice. And Mm -hmm. I sort of get into a space where, you know, when I'm designing textiles, I'm just at a digital drawing board working artistically. And sometimes it works and then sometimes it doesn't. And when I get in a groove, it feels great, but that doesn't always happen.
1: Well, speaking of the Leslie Evers brand and design, I can spot one of your dresses from a mile away because I think because as a native new yorker whose wardrobe was mostly black when i moved to california 20 years ago it took me a little while to work up the nerve to start wearing such bright patterns and bright colors and now i wear your stuff a lot so how do you describe it what's the you know what's the vibe what's the goal with what you're designing
0: the number one goal is beautiful print so and that's always been my like i've always had in my head that i just wanted to do beautiful print. And whether that's on a painting, a painting, which isn't a print, but I've always loved beautiful print. And growing up, I loved um, Mary Meko. Mm. And I grew up in the South and Lily Pulitzer was really popular. You know, everyone was wearing print. I don't know what it was like growing up in New York, probably not as much print. But
1: Not my part of New York. It was just, we, we dressed for warmth.
0: Yeah. And then my family originally was from Berkeley. So we spent a ton of time here in the Bay Area every summer and every Christmas. We were back in California. And um, the other brand that I remember that just made such an impression on me was Esprit. Do you sure Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. My mom would take me to the Esprit outlet in San Francisco, Mm -hmm. which I think was in the Mission, and it was just this huge space and tons of printed dresses and skirts and tops, and it was just like heaven. And it was sort of a feeding frenzy, and that was really impressionable, I have to say, seeing that brand and those clothes and the print. We just I had a lot of color growing up,
1: and I also think of your stuff though as very sturdy and durable and sort of versatile.
0: Thank you. (laughs) I think so too. I think that that's a good description.
1: Yeah. I mean, you could, you could put it on and walk your dog in it or you could change your shoes and go out to dinner in it. So it's one of the, for, for lazy people like me who really only wants to think about clothes one time. And that is for 16 seconds every morning. You know, I think it's, I think it's a good fit. Get it pun. See what I did there. Well,
0: I've been known to put on a dress and, wear it all day, go to bed in it and get up the next day. <laughs>
1: <Okay>. <laughs>
0: so I'm very low maintenance. Yeah. So it totally works for me. How
1: many teenage
0: sons did you say you have? I have two, yeah. 15 and 18. Yeah.
1: That's exhausting. That's just a lot of hard work right there. If you've got a dress that'll take you 24 hours in that lifestyle, <laughs> you're winning. Yeah. All right. So we took a little pause there. It reminded me of when the kids were little and you're at the playground trying to talk to your mom friends and you could never finish a conversation without some disastrous mishap that you know meant that you had to actually conduct the conversation in four separate segments (laughs) across three different social occasions. But we're back. I'm here with Leslie Evers. And you have built up this design company. You sort of took it in one direction where there was national distribution. You took a rather traditional route, I guess, in Uh, starting your line, and then you scaled it back and took a more local approach to it. And I wondered if you could just give us a really quick synopsis of your design journey. And also, you know, if you were starting from scratch today, how would you recommend people approach it? or Or what are the things that you think are different for people who are starting on that process today
0: so the so when I started 10 years ago the industry was really different and there was a very traditional path which people continue to pursue today I'm not saying that it doesn't exist but I will say that that path in my opinion is totally broken and I never recommend it to anyone but I did the traditional route of making sample sets going to trade shows opening accounts in boutiques across the country, taking the orders, manufacturing, and shipping. And so um, let's see, I did that for about six years. And in that process, I had picked up three reps. I had two showrooms. It was super complicated. And I spent a lot of money on sample sets and trade shows And because the margins are small when you're doing wholesale, it's all about volume, but you can't handle volume until you've had a lot of experience and success. It's a long path to get there, and it's hard to sustain through those years. I had, I guess you could call it good fortune that there's a department store in the South called Belk. And I went to high school with the kids from that family and the buyer from Belk came through and things fell into place. Like it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Oh, that's who you are. And then she just bought the line. Um, so right. suddenly I had a department store and we, she wrote the, the order opening with six stores. They had, they sold the company recently, 300 stores, department stores, but, um, She just put me in the larger ones. Anyway, so I sold to over probably to 200 boutiques and to a department store. And I did that for the first six years, at which point I had lost a lot of money and I had debt and I had a store that went bankrupt and didn't pay me $44,000. Yeah, that was an ouch.
1: That was a pivot point for you.
0: It really was. It was that paired with Another store that had ordered $30,000 and then said, don't ship it, we're going out of business. But mm-hmm. I had already made the product. So um, Curtis and I, my husband, you know, we had $30,000 wholesale inventory, and that's when we just decided to open the store. And
1: you did that in what year?
0: I think that was 2012, mm-hmm. 2013, maybe. i had the store for like five years or six years. I'm bad with the exact date. I always have to look at my spreadsheet.
1: And I love your store because I think it embodies the Leslie Ever's gestalt. Every time I drive down College Avenue and I see the bright pink storefront and there's these beautiful cheerful prints in the front window and these just sort of mid-century design inspired looking dresses and I think I could wear that oh, and look thanks. just pulled together and Oh, thanks. So basically people can find it either in your stores in Oakland. Where's your other store?
0: Corte Madera. Or right here in Oakland, or online. But what I, one of the
1: things I love about the online store is that your ad campaigns feature real customers. So you have not, you have, you know, not the super skinny models that are pulling off stuff that none of the rest of us could manage. But you have actual customers modeling your stuff. Why, why was it important to you to have real women modeling your clothes? And what do you think that? says
0: well I started it a few years ago it came to me because you know I don't really wear makeup I don't care for it like I'll put on a little mascara a bit of lipstick for if I'm going out but and a lot of my customers don't and I don't have anything against makeup I just am very just kind of like things simple um, I don't like the fuss and I know a lot of my customers are that way too and we would be doing these photo shoots and these literal girls would come in like 19 years old and they put tons of makeup that you know had hair and makeup there they put all this makeup on to make them look grown up and i just like i was like what am i doing this is so crazy like first of all okay i do have 18 year olds that shop in the store but they're just regular 18 year olds buying a dress for like a graduation or something and it just felt so disconnected mm-hmm. and All along, I had wanted to do real women, but my photographer had sort of, no, no, this is how we do it. And I kind of like followed her lead. Um, and she was making beautiful photos. So there was something that was really working. I, I I get it, but I just just put my foot down and I just thought, I just don't want to do it anymore. And that was it. We just switched. And what's the response been? It's been so great. It's been really nice. i I had one open call day, and anybody who wanted to come by, in Rockridge came to be photographed. And we put everybody on the website. And, you know, it was literally like, from 15 to 80 women, all ages, all sizes, we had a transgender woman come everything. It was really fun. So awesome.
1: And you and you make the clothes in Oakland, too. Not only are your models drawn from the local area, but you actually make manufacture them here.
0: Yes, I do. And I go to the factories almost every day. I use about Three different factories.
1: And why did you make that decision? Why did that feel important to you?
0: It's just you have to because there's you can't just start manufacturing overseas. They have large quantities, and it's you have to have tech packs, and it's just a very, you know, you have to be pretty sophisticated to start just shipping over to manufacture overseas Mm -hmm. Um, clothing. Anyway, not other things can be simple. So for me, it was just about being there to answer the questions as they were sewing small batches. And then gradually, you know, I just built relationships with these factory owners and I'm committed to them. It's it's more about just having that personal relationship with the people that are making the clothes. And, you know, the benefit is that it's all local. I committed to giving good work to people in paying them properly. And that is a very manageable thing to do when I can actually go down and work with them and see them. I'm sure that there are people all over the country that need that offering. I just am not able to do it in other places. So I do it here.
1: Well, I know that the clothing manufacturing industry in the Bay Area has really sort of, I mean, it used to be a big business across the bay, and then all those factories have been closed as so many, you know, so many manufacturing lines have been outsourced.
0: They have. uh, I mean, a lot of companies build up, and then once they hit the volume where they can get, they can do, go overseas, then they leave. Mm -hmm. And it leaves sort of devastation behind because they're fully supporting a lot of people, and then one day, they're not. And a lot of times it happens after a company is sold. I've seen it happen with this company, Ibex. They were on the East Coast and they sold in Oakland and the owners would come out here and they had relationships and so on. And then when they sold the company, the new owners just scooped it up and took it overseas, right. which is really sad. And it's it's happened over and over. It happened with North Face. It happened with, you know, there's just a lot of companies around here that have done that. And it's unfortunate but hopefully, I mean there's enough happening right now that it's not about to just disappear. But we'll see. I think it I don't know what it's gonna look like in ten years. A lot of the women in the factories will retire by then and there aren't a lot of young women sewing.
1: Right. Um check out the website for leslieevers.com and you can, you know, see all this beautiful stuff that's being made in Oakland. One question I wanted to ask about design and your sort of midlife mindset, do you approach design differently than you did 10 years ago? Is there anything that you do differently now that you're in this middle phase of life in terms of starting a design or thinking about what you want to create than you would have at a younger age?
0: Well, I will. I do in terms of the maturity of the business, which is a little bit hard to separate. For one thing, I just have a huge well of patterns, of, you know, styles, and of textiles. So instead of having to create everything from scratch, I can sort of make adjustments, change colors, mix things in a different way. So all of that is easier now. So there are a lot of things about doing it that are just simplified Mm -hmm. from sort of the initial creation of everything. I had to like start from scratch, but that also sort of speaks to my, like, I'm 50, sort of more of my attitude in general. <laughs> so just taking things a little bit easier and not so seriously. And I think I would naturally feel this way at 50. I, I'm glad I started it when I was 40 because I think I had a little bit more um, interest in energy around being motivated to work. And not that I'm not motivated to work. I just appreciate a lot of things in life other than work. So do you know what I mean? Well,
1: you've got first of all, you've got teenage sons, right? I do. I mean, that's a full time job. But I I, I think there and I hear this again and again in these interviews is that we are at a point where we get to Yield the benefits of efficiency. Mm-hmm. We sort of know, like, I mean, very clearly in your case, you just simply have more patterns and more textiles mm-hmm. that you can work with because you've had 10 years to accumulate them. But I hear it What, regardless of the field is that this is a time of life where you can kind of say, all right, it's not going to be, I don't have to work so hard to do X, Y, or Z because I've been doing that for so long.
0: Exactly. That's how I feel. And everything's just easier. I, I, it's just in a groove. Um, I also wanted to say, because I just have so many people ask me how I did it and how I got to this place and, you know, their daughter's interested or they are or whatever, whoever it is, when I talk about my experience I don't recommend it because it was very hard and really stressful. And
1: you don't you don't want to recommend to people that they get a thirty thousand dollars <laughs> stash of of unsold inventory. Why not? That sounds like that was not stressful for you yeah. at all.
0: It was the whole thing was really hard. And there's deadlines and cancellations and all kinds of things that happen that are totally beyond your control. That said. I do think so. That was doing the wholesale model. I do think that there are so many opportunities now where young designers can go direct to consumers with everything that's happening online. And there's just I don't have an answer. I can't say because I'm not starting now. But if I were to start now, I think I would have an easier time than starting 10 years ago. I do want to encourage that it's not just because I had a really difficult time doesn't mean that's how it would be for everyone.
1: That's very generous of you, because I'm sure people do look to you for an example. And that kind of encouragement can be helpful for somebody who's just starting out. Mm -hmm. Something that I've been thinking about is, you know, we are in the middle of a time where I think women are working hard to, and I love this this quote from Maxine Waters reclaim our time. Mm-hmm. We're reclaiming our time and we're demanding that our voices be heard. And I think in a lot of ways that's about expressing ourselves in a man's world in a feminine way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but not not just trying to force ourselves into the man box, but saying, nope, this is how I do it, you know, coming at this from a feminine point of view. And I wonder what this means to you as the head of a brand with female customers and and personally, because you have a very, it's a very feminine kind of sensibility with what you design. How does that all fit together?
0: Well, I mean, I I have worked with women and I have to say all my employees are women. And so I, I do feel separated from that world, the business world with men. I haven't, well, that's not true in the initial days. I did a lot of orders and work with men, but I feel really lucky in that way to get to just serve women. And I, and I love it. So I don't feel like, like I've been swayed or changed with this at all, like I just have been doing my own thing, um, and because I'm self-employed, I feel like I've been I've had so much autonomy. But I certainly am thrilled that all of this is happening.
1: So, what challenges do you still want to tackle in this middle phase? I mean, as you look ahead for Leslie Ever's design and and for yourself personally, what are the kinds of things that you still want to knock off the bucket list?
0: I I was at the point where I was sort of comfortable with where it was. We had two stores and some online business. And um, recently, I've started scaling online. And I was on the fence about whether to do it or not. And we're doing it. So I am a little bit resisting it, but I'm going along. So uh, that's where I am. It's just a bit of a push. And, um,
1: if you're scared, it probably means you're doing the right thing. Don't you think at this age? (laughs) I
0: guess so. I mean, put yourself
1: out on the edge once in a while. It's so easy to get
0: complacent. Thanks for saying that. (laughs) It's hard.
1: It's not just me, it's people I talk to. I, I interviewed um Kathy Valentine from the Go Go's and she talked about exactly this, like just she's getting she's gone back to school, she's writing a book, and she said, I like to be scared. It's if you know, if it feels a little uncomfortable, you know, you're growing. So that's true.
0: I'm for it. You're for it. Okay. Well, I'm doing it. And on top of it, I realize the size ratio has changed a bit. And I have a lot of online customers that order large and extra large and asked me to go one more size. So I'm adding mm-hmm. the 18 to 20 size. So that's exciting. I don't know what's awesome. going to happen, but I hope I find a lot of customers that are size 18 and 20, which is takes an investment because i have to revisit all the patterns and remake all the markers because they're paired up it's i can't explain it's not it's a waste of time but it's not as simple as people think because i have everything sort of in a groove and now i'm disrupting all of that the way i cut you know i'll take the um the size large pattern and i mix it when cutting with the extra small so that i get more efficiency so anyway, so my ratio has changed and um, I'm adding a size. My markers have to be changed. So I'm excited to, to, to do that. And um, yeah, online is really expanding and it's exciting. And there's challenges on the back end of fulfilling all those orders. But um, one day at a time, there's always a problem. But I just try to like oh, make it into an opportunity. <laughs>
1: I learned a good phrase from my college daughter who's home for the summer the other day. She told me one, that sounds like a problem for future me.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, my problems are for the today me. <laughs> Last question, Leslie,
1: what one piece of advice do you have for people younger than you, or do you wish you could go back and tell yourself?
0: I I think for young people and for young me, I I was so like looking forward to everything and eager and how is it going to work out? And there's just like a lot of baby steps along the way. And I wish I had known how things would sort of come together and be integrated. And I don't know if everyone feels that way, but I sure do feel like a lot of things that didn't really make sense at the time sort of in the end have pulled together. And I I just, you know, it's just funny how all the little parts come together and they're important, even at the time when they seem like they're not important. Do you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely. You look back and you go, oh, that's why I did.
0: Yeah, it's really cool.
1: I was going to say that's, I mean, I look back all the time and say, well, it's great that I got a business degree, even though part of me thinks, oh, I wish I'd been an English major and discovered my passion for writing a lot earlier. The fact is, I've got a really solid business background, and I manage my writing career really well because of it. I know how to negotiate contracts, and I know how to manage my accounting and all that stuff. And it wasn't a waste of time. It was just a way to get a skill that I was going to need. You know, eventually. So I try to think of it that way, anyway.
0: Wow, I can't imagine that a business major would be a waste of time. I, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really like promising way to go. I wish I had done it. Well,
1: you and I—it turned out as we were setting up this interview, you, you and I discovered we were at the same college at the same time. So let's be frank: what I really majored in <laughs> was the music parties at Pi Lambda Highs. So. <laughs> You know, at an Irvine auditorium, that's where I spent most of my formative educational years. But oh well. I
0: don't believe it. I don't believe it.
1: <laughs> All right. Leslie Evers, one of my favorite new friends in Oakland. I was so thrilled when I was in the store the other day and, uh, you know, basically introduced myself and said, hey, lady, you're coming on my podcast. So thank you for not <laughs> fighting me off.
0: I'm so happy that we got to talk.
1: Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I will include links, of course, to Leslie's website, but check it out for yourself, leslieevers.com. And uh, yeah, if you want my recommendation, the Vera dress in whatever pattern you can get it, you can't go wrong with that dress. It's fabulous. Thanks a lot,
0: Leslie. Thanks, Nancy.
1: I am just imagining the kind of hyperventilating I would have done if I were a small business owner and a $40,000 client inform me that they weren't paying me and another canceled a $30,000 product order after I'd already made it. I would hope I would have the grace to turn that problem into an opportunity, as Leslie said. It is kind of nice to be far enough out from that 2012 disaster to see how it turned out for her. And I know we all have those kinds of stories in our background, so I asked over on the Facebook and Twitter page to see what you guys had to say on the subject of seeming disasters that turned out okay over time. Kristen said she got laid off two weeks after the big quake in 89. That would be Loma Prieta for non-Bay Area residents, the one where the Marina District basically liquefied Kristen started temping to make ends meet and ended up totally changing her career to a much better and more lucrative one. Kathy said she had an unwelcome change in a long time job last year, which gave her the push to look for something else. And now she loves her career again, as well as the new community to which she had to relocate for the job. And I've been following Kathy's journey on Instagram as she's made this huge change. She's been a midlife mixtape reader for a long time. Shout out to Kathy. And um, it's great. It's great to see her so happy in this new life that she's found after what seemed like a pretty jarring blow last year. And then there's longtime midlife mixtape pal Lance, who reminded me that his divorce 12 years ago worked out okay in the end. And I have to say that having met his new wife, I can vouch for the happy ending of that story. As for me, I got laid off when I was nine months pregnant with my youngest daughter. Woohoo! Goodbye maternity leave, hello, trying to update my resume between nursing every two hours and just weeping copiously because of postnatal hormones and the unfairness of it all. But Getting laid off meant that I started taking on some consulting work that I did from home, and then I added a little writing to the mix. And guess what? While I work full-time now, I haven't had to go into an office for 18 years. I consider it a traffic jam if I have to pause on the stairway to let a family member pass me on the way to my home office, so hashtag winning, take that layoff. What about you? How did you turn your problems into opportunities on your road to midlife? Let me know via email at dj at midlifemixtape.com or find me on social media at midlifemixtape. If you haven't visited the midlifemixtape.com site and clicked on the podcast tab lately, now's the time. I just had it completely updated and redesigned to make it easier to find older episodes, and I've also done some mixes. I've grouped the the, uh, older interviews into a few categories like change makers and generation MTV mix. So if you like somebody in that category, you're probably going to like the other interviews I've put in there as well. You can click on any of the episodes and see the show notes and you can even listen right there in the browser if that's what floats your boat. You can also find my latest writing on midlifemixtape.com. Last week I did a post which was prompted by the billboards I keep seeing around San Francisco for Get Around, which is a service where you loan out your car to strangers when you're are not using it. How could that go wrong, says any of us who have seen the garage attendance scene from Ferris Bueller. Anyway, I had thoughts about it so you can see the post there. Join me next time as I interview Anne Imig, founder of the live reading series Listen to Your Mother, about her decision to walk away from the wildly popular stage show while it was still on top and the process of figuring out what she wanted to do next. Okay, guys, have a good week and I will talk to you soon.
0: I don't wanna be this, don't wanna be that, don't wanna give I wanna give back. I wanna be free by whatever means, whatever you want from me, I wanna be. don't wanna be this, don't wanna be that, don't wanna give up, I wanna give back. I wanna be free by whatever means, whatever you want from me, I wanna be, be, be. I wanna be. I wanna be free by whatever.